top stories coming up this evening live from New York City. Nearly 20 states pushing back against the world's largest asset manager, saying it's politicizing your investments, even endangering national security. We take a deep dive into the issue. Diesel prices under $5 for the first time in six months, but will it last? And Apple encouraging users to update devices after finding serious vulnerabilities that could be exploited. That and much more coming up on NTD Business. Great to have you with us. Don Ma here for NTD Business. Diesel prices are dropping, at least for now. The national average dipped slightly below $5 a gallon on Thursday, according to AAA. This is the first time that it's under $5 since March this year. Prices of diesel hit a record high in mid-June at $5.82. Diesel is a key fuel for the entire economy. It powers everything from trucking, farming to construction. Pretty much everything you buy is at some point shipped on a truck running diesel. And it's worth pointing out that businesses typically pass some of the fuel costs onto consumers. And meanwhile, gas prices also continue to drop. The national average for a gallon of regular gas fell to $3.92 today, according to AAA. I went into more detail with Patrick DeHaan earlier about diesel prices. He's head of petroleum analysis at Gas Buddy. Here he is. Patrick, thanks for coming on. So, so talk to us about diesel prices. Break it, break it down for us. What factors are at play here? AAA says it's below five dollars a gallon now. It's come down so much since the record highs just a couple months ago. So, break it down for us, Patrick. Yeah, as you mentioned, for the first time since March, the national average for diesel is back at four ninety nine a gallon. Still, diesel prices almost a dollar intense higher than uh, gasoline. A lot of the reason is simply diesel demand has been very high. Inventories, especially in the U.S. for diesel, have been extremely low in some areas of the country, like the Northeast, uh, perilously low. And, of course, Russia's invasion of Ukraine playing into the high price of diesel. A lot of that Russian oil tends to be heavy and is able to be turned into products like diesel. So in absence of that Russian oil and a lack of refining capacity is really exacerbating the situation. Now, Patrick, what's playing a bigger role here for the drop? Is it the supply side or demand side? What what level are we at when it comes to a diesel supply? Well, in terms of uh, diesel supply, uh, demand for diesel goes up going into the colder months. And that's because diesel is also used as heating oil in many areas of the Northeast. Uh, A lot of this is is, uh, being a factor because of the drop in refining capacity. Over the last three years, the U.S. has seen about a loss of a million barrels a day in refining capacity. And with a strong and recovering economy, demand for diesel has been quite strong. And that's really depleted inventories to an extremely low level. So to boost that up, uh, we're going to have to see refineries continuing to churn out products. Uh, But it may be difficult to catch up. And I think diesel prices will remain well above gasoline for quite some time. Should we expect sort of a downward trend from from diesel prices? Is it going to continue to go down or go up? Uh, I think for the next four to six weeks, we could see diesel prices following gasoline that is uh, falling slightly. But as we approach winter into October, November, as diesel demand starts to pick up for heating oil season, I do think we could see a reversal. And keep in mind, diesel uh, could be used as a replacement in some power generation and in Europe. Uh, for heating. So that's going to be a wild card this uh, this winter. 
is will uh, the EU, will Germany be able to heat their homes with natural gas or will Russia cut off supply and much of the EU could start relying on diesel for heating and power generation? Just one last thing. Tell us, what are some of your concerns right now for the oil market? What are you wor worried about currently or what, what's on the horizon? Well, I, I think a lot of what worries me is that while prices have plummeted, I think a lot of motorists think we are in the clear, but we are anything but in the clear. Supply remains very low for this time of year, and all we really need to see is one major hurricane that could impact refinery capability and oil production in the Gulf of Mexico. So I, I think we're holding on uh, by very thin hair here to get through the hurricane season without seeing a major storm. If we do that, we'll be in okay, uh, okay place, but... Uh, we all know it's supposed to be an above-average hurricane season and very mindful that last year, Hurricane Ida did tremendous damage. So that's something to keep an eye on that could push prices up down the road. All right. Thank you very much. Patrick DeHaan at Gas Buddy, thanks for coming today. My pleasure. Stocks today fell in a broad sell-off. The Dow fell 292 points or 9 tenths of a percent. The S&P dropped 55 points or 1 and 3 tenths of a percent. And the Nasdaq lost 260 points, or 2%. Throughout the pandemic, the government has been buying COVID vaccines and treatments to give to the people for free. Now, it no longer wants to foot the bill. What does that mean for Americans? NTD's Colin Fredrickson has the story. The government plans to stop paying for COVID treatment. This will push the cost to patients and insurers. It's a good thing. Wayne Weingarten is a senior fellow at the Pacific Research Institute. Weingarten says COVID-19 will be with us for a long time, so COVID treatment should be incorporated into the normal health care system. As for the cost of treatment... The question is going to vary from patients to patients depending upon insurance status and kind of coverage. Uh, there there could, certainly could be out-of-pocket costs you know, up to this point. 30 million people currently don't even have insurance coverage. They'd have to pay out-of-pocket. As for the others, they'd likely have to pay more than what the government paid, according to the Kaiser Family Foundation. Insurers and pharmacy benefit managers will have to negotiate with drug makers on prices, which will likely raise them. This could also mean billions in profits for vaccine makers. Pfizer, which developed a popular RNA vaccine with BioNTech, and Moderna, whose new vaccine that targets Omicron recently got approved in the UK, made a combined total of $79 billion in vaccine and treatment sales last year. That's all to the good, and that, you know, provide the incentives to continue uh, pushing uh, on the vaccine research portfolio. Wayne Weingarten from the Pacific Research Institute says this is positive for the broader society. It shows the viability of vaccine uh, in uh, research portfolios. It's going to incentivize continued uh, research into vaccines. And so there's all sorts of beneficial, uh, you know, health uh, health benefits that we're going to reap into the future. The Department of Health and Human Services said shifting the payment plan could take months. It's going to hold a planning session on August the 30th with pharmacies, drug makers, and state health departments. Alan Fredrickson, NTD News. And here's a tech announcement for you. If you have an Apple device, you probably need to make sure it's updated. Apple is warning of operating system vulnerabilities. The company says the vulnerabilities could let hackers take control of your device. Affected products include iPhones, iPads, iPod Touches, running operating system 15.6.1, as well as Mac computers running Mac OS Monterey 12.5.1,
and Apple's Safari browsers 15.6.1 on its Big Sur and Catalina operating systems are affected as well. The U.S. Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency is also urging users to update as soon as possible. And moving on, a social media app called Be Real has been gaining popularity. The app topped the iPhone charts for free apps in July when it had more than 21 million active users. Entity's John Marshall tells us more. The Be Real social media app has been billed as a new and unique way to discover who your friends really are in their daily lives. Every day at a different time, you and your friends are notified simultaneously to capture and share a photo within two minutes. The app notifies other users of how long you waited to do your post, so those who wait too long sometimes get teased in the comments. Santiago Arbelize has to keep up with social media apps and trends for his line of work. He says you don't need to be a semi-famous influencer with a lavish life going on crazy trips. Some people's V-reels every day is quite honestly them in bed, you know, just kind of watching Netflix. And for a majority of people, that kind of is life. <laughs> so I think it kind of just puts us all on, a, on the same playing field. I asked Arbalize what the best part about the app is. I think, again, yeah, the anticipation of when that notification is going to come in and then also kind of the anticipation to see, okay, what is everyone else doing at this exact same time, um, you know, in their daily lives. Arbalize explained the exact anticipatory thoughts and feelings that I experienced after downloading the app to test it out. Once you are in a few days of it, you know, you're kind of thinking in the back of your head, oh, when is it going to happen? Like, do I look good for it? Like, I've had people and friends, you know, stay in their work outfits or stay in their, like, going out outfits because they want to be ready for the Be Real. Large part of Be Real's growth in 2022 is due to its college ambassador program in the United States and United Kingdom, where college students are recruited as paid ambassadors for the brand. Sean Marshall, NTD News. California is likely to add diversity requirements for any filmmaker who wants the state's film and TV tax credit. This credit could be as high as 20 to 29 percent. It's part of a bill that Governor Gavin Newsom is likely to sign into law. It says the diversity hiring goals should be, quote, broadly reflective of California's population in terms of race and ethnicity and gender. California is 40% Latino, 35% white, 16% Asian, and 6.5% black. Now, filmmakers who want the tax credit will have to submit a work plan as well as a final report. The final report is about whether or not the company actually met its goals that it set out to do. If it can prove it made a good faith effort, it could give more of a credit. But these diversity requirements are very broad. For example, the bill says there's no need to include quotas or other numeric goals. And it looks like the filmmaker will be on their own to figure out how to write the reports. Moving on, a coalition of state governments is pushing back against the world's largest asset manager, BlackRock. They're saying the firm is putting its political agenda over the interests of clients and even U.S. national security. A group of 19 state attorneys general sent a strongly worded letter to BlackRock CEO Larry Fink. It says BlackRock is imposing an ESG engagement and voting strategy across all assets under their management, with climate issues being one of BlackRock's biggest focuses. The letter says BlackRock is is converting state investment portfolios to ESG-focused funds. The letter demanded an end. BlackRock's political agenda. 
And earlier, I talked with Will Hild more in detail about ESG and BlackRock. He's the executive director at Consumers Research. Will, thanks for coming on. To, you know, to start off, can you explain to our audience what exactly is ESG? Certainly. Well, ESG is an acronym that stands for Environmental, Social, and Governance. And it's billed by its supporters as simply a style of investing, similarly to value investing or momentum investing. But in effect, what it really is is a stalking horse for fund managers to inject their personal politics into the operations of U.S. corporations. I see. Okay, just elaborate for us a little bit. What is ESG intended for? Can you give us a practical example? Certainly. Well, the idea is that investors will make more money over the long term by taking into account a number of different factors, you know, environmental, social, and, and, and governance factors around things like net zero targets, you know, the idea of decarbonizing uh, the economy or around social issues such as abortion or uh, LGBTQ issues. But what this allows is fund managers can use, use ESG as a cover for injecting their own personal politics. And really specifically, let's take the E for example. Uh, investment managers who are managing an ESG portfolio would say to a company, listen, uh, we're not going to invest in the company or we're going to even vote against your management or vote against your pay packages unless you decarbonize your company. As a concrete example, last year, probably the most infamous, is that uh, major investment firm BlackRock helped vote on three radical environmentalists to the board of ExxonMobil, which, of course, is the nation's largest oil and gas recovery uh, company. And the stated goal of these radical board, new board members was to get Exxon out of the business of oil and gas recovery because of those ESG goals. I see. And, and if I'm an everyday American, why should I care about this? That is a great question. Well, following on from that Exxon example, because of those three new board members, it was reported by the Wall Street Journal in October that Exxon was considering of divesting itself of two of their newest, largest projects overseas, one in Mozambique and one in Vietnam, and that these would have to be sold on the global market, probably to another large player, such as PetroChina. So this is a direct effect on the consumer because it's oil and gas, in, in case of Exxon, it's oil and gas uh, uh, that would otherwise come to the United States that now is probably going to go to a foreign competitor. This raises prices at the pump for the consumer, and it raises prices in a number of different industries, at the grocery store, uh, at, at, the, at, the, at the supermarket. Um, all of these are places where ESG has an effect on the consumer through higher prices and fewer options of, of goods. Now, your organization came out with a report. It's called BlackRock Crushing America Within. What does that mean? That's a great question. Well, BlackRock is the nation's largest investment management firm. They manage over $10 trillion of assets, and a lot of that is actually public money. Uh, like I said, local, state, and federal pensions. And they use that to push their radical left-wing agenda on corporate America. And as I noted before, that raises costs for consumers and hurts the economy. So the companies do worse. The portfolios that BlackRock manages on behalf of other people do worse. And most importantly for us, a consumer protection group, it raises prices for consumers, so consumers do worse. So it's a lose-lose-lose for everyone except for BlackRock. And who is pushing back against this? Well, you're starting to see a coalition form. Uh, state treasurers, state AGs, and governors are starting to take action. You're seeing groups like us push back and Nate call out uh, Larry Fink and BlackRock for what they're doing. We're in the middle of an ongoing multi-million dollar consumer awareness campaign running TV, radio, and billboard ads. 
Um, we're going to continue to do that because we think that is so crucial to consumers' well-being. They, this is probably the number one issue they need to know about right now is Larry Fink and BlackRock and, and what they're doing to undermine consumer interests. Now, if we're not pushing it back, pushing back against this, what would be the final result? It's a great question. Ultimately, ESG is forced austerity on the consumer at the behest of Wall Street. The targets that Larry Fink and BlackRock want to push on these companies, these net zero targets, would obliterate their business model, would make it impossible for them to operate and you know, get them out of oil and gas, which right now produces 60% of our electricity in the United States. It is not an overstatement to say that if Larry Fink and, and BlackRock get their way, we're talking about figurative and maybe literal national suicide. And so it, it's very important that this get called out and be pushed back on. Now, this might be a sensitive issue, but is ESG pushing the U.S. into a sort of socialist society, in your opinion? It's a great question. I think what, what's happening, I, I think there's some truth to that. Um, it's definitely undermining our national interest against the Chinese Communist Party. One issue we also bring up in, in this report is that BlackRock is, is increasingly entangled with the Chinese Communist Party. And they don't push any of this ESG nonsense over there. Instead, they funnel hundreds of billions of dollars of American investments into CCP-owned companies. So not only does it hurt consumers here domestically, but it hurts the competitiveness of our companies globally. And so it props up the Chinese Communist Party, and it hurts our economy here in the United States. And as you noted, it, it is building the foundation for personalized ESG scores. You're already starting to see some, uh, the, the beginnings of that. And absolutely, we could live in a world where you know your bank and your insurance company or your investment management company dictates to you how you should live using an ESG score. And again, that was Will Hild from Consumers Research. And still to come, McDonald's testing out a new version of its legendary Big Mac. But this one doesn't have any beef in it. In Russia, a new coffee chain opens up, but its logo and storefront might look like something you've seen before. That and much more coming up on NTD Business. Welcome back. Let me ask you this. Why did the chicken cross the road? Well, this time is to avoid being part of McDonald's new menu item. Because the fast food giant is testing a chicken version of its legendary Big Mac. This sandwich comes with special sauce, shredded lettuce, American cheese, pickles, and a sesame bun, just like the original Big Macs. But instead of beef, these sandwiches feature a pair of tempura chicken patties. These chicken Big Macs will soon be served in Miami area restaurants. Company officials say sales, if sales and reviews are good, they could eventually be sold nationwide. And a restaurateur and a rapper duel unveils Stars Coffee in Russia on Thursday. The move reopens the chain of coffee shops in the country formerly owned by Starbucks. It's the latest major company rebranding after a months-long corporate exodus from the country. Take a look at our next story. 
Starbucks may have left Russia back in May, but a new chain of coffee shops in the capital, Moscow, is hoping to replicate its success in more ways than one. Russian restaurateur Anton Pinsky and rapper Timati debuted new venture Stars Coffee on Thursday. Its logo and font might bear a striking familiarity to any coffee drinker walking down the street. But Timati insists it's all about perception. The American company gave its partner in Kuwait a right for a franchise in Russia. And this company was developing its coffee shops under this brand. When Starbucks decided to leave Russia, the company from Kuwait had lost interest in doing business without the brand. So they sold the right to their rental locations. We won the tender. There were a lot of participants, acquired it, and made our own brand. That is it. The conflict in Ukraine triggered a months-long exodus of Western corporations from Russia. But local entrepreneurs are quickly filling that void. In June, Russians celebrated a new era of fast food with a homegrown version of McDonald's. But these enterprises are not without their hard work. Timati says that because Starbucks had its own resource and production base, they've had to find new suppliers. Over 15 years, Starbucks grew its presence in Russia to 130 stores that employed a 2,000-strong staff. While it declined requests for comment, the Seattle-based company referred to an earlier statement that said it had made the decision to exit the Russian market and no longer had a brand presence there. Now, the classic muscle car has always been known for having loud, growling engines and exhaust systems. But as the auto industry shifts gears to offer more electric vehicles, those engines are becoming virtually silent. Despite that, Dodge says its future electric muscle cars will mimic some of the same sounds and sensations of the original gas-powered ones. The Fiat Chrysler brand unveiled its concept muscle car Wednesday. It's called the Dodge Charger Daytona SRT. It has loud exhaust pipes and a transmission that shifts gears. The sounds aren't produced by speakers, but by air pulses that vary in speed and force depending on the car's speed and acceleration. Dodge's current gas-powered muscle cars, the Charger and the Challenger, will end production next year. Have you ever wondered what life on Mars would look like? A public art project is exploring ideas for a house on the red planet. It's an inflatable building that will soon be on display in Bristol, England. Let's take a look. A team of experts specialized in creating buildings for extreme environments helped design this inflatable house. It explores how people would potentially live on Mars. The team has to take transportation of materials to the red planet into consideration and what's already there. The key thing about when you're living on Mars is you need your buildings to be completely airtight because the atmosphere outside is essentially poisonous. Um, you then need to be able to keep out all the dangerous solar and cosmic radiation. So you need to have the outside uh, made of something which will keep all those dangerous rays out. So our house partially would be built underground in the amazing lava tubes which exist under the surface of Mars. The team settled on a design incorporating an inflatable structure above ground that will be filled with rubble or regolith, plus an underground level, making use of lava tubes that occur in the crust of the red planet. 
So the idea is that it should be somewhere pleasant for someone to live, somewhere where we can use the scarce resources on Mars to, to really be able to, to not only exist, but to live a happy and productive life, whatever that person on Mars might be doing. The two-story, 570-square-feet house is powered by solar panels and designed to cope with average temperatures of negative 81 degrees Fahrenheit. It has a hydroponic living room where occupants are surrounded by plants. This is a place for people to think about future living and how the scenario of life on Mars relates to their lives on Earth. Because on Mars, you'd have to live within a really small, resourceful community. You'd have to fix everything when it breaks. You'd have to really consider every aspect of your daily life. So it's a place for thinking about, um, yeah, about all of those questions. The project will open to the public at the end of August and run until the end of October. And that's all the stories we have today from the NTD business team and myself, Don Ma. Give follow me on Twitter too. If you have any news tips or feedback for the show, you can email us at business at ntd.com. And that's all for today. Thanks for watching. See you Monday.